it's good for me to be able to be back with you and kind of hang out with you. Uh, let me ask you this question. Anybody in the house glad that Pastor Jonathan is part of our team, enjoyed the last four weeks? Let me hear from you. Yeah, pretty cool. If you were here the last four weeks, he did an amazing job. If you didn't get a chance to be here, he did a series called Honest to God. You ought to go check it out. But he did a great job, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I enjoyed being away from speaking for four weeks, albeit I'm glad to be back. Uh, some of you are like, where you been, on vacation the whole time? No, I haven't been, but we did spend one week on vacation. We were thankful to be able to do that. My wife and I have friends who have a house on the lake, and so we rode, rode jet skis all week, and it was kind of cool. So if you know Jennifer, picture her on the back of a jet ski right? But that's what we did. It was kind of cool. Had a good time. And then I spent one of those weeks with 19 amazing young adults, and we went to Virginia Beach together, and uh, we worked them to exhaustion. But we had a great time together. We led a soccer camp. Uh, we uh, helped with a, a vacation Bible school. We did some manual labor, things like that, with a church plant that you support in Virginia Beach. And so that was exciting. Loved being a part of that. But I'm excited to be back with you because I got some things I want to share with you this morning. Actually, I want to start a conversation with you that this is just the introduction. Can we do that? Can we have a five-week conversation and just introduce it this morning? And I want to introduce it, and literally we're going to be in the book of Psalms for five weeks. Background on this book is it's the biggest book in your Bible. It's got five sections to it written by more authors than any other book in your Bible. It is the book in the Old Testament, which is the first part of your Bible that is most often quoted in the second part of your Bible called the New Testament. It is a book that literally the name of that book means to pluck a stringed instrument. It's kind of a song book. The, the literature of the book of Psalms is kind of a song book or a book of poems. And so here's the way we said it last summer. We spent some time in the book of Psalms and we said it this way, that it's literally a song book that takes the realness of God. It collides with the rawness of human emotion. And when it collides with the rawness, you can be real with God. The realness of God collided with the rawness of human emotion. Something explodes into a robust faith in the book of Psalms. And so that is the book of Psalms. Here's the way we said it last summer, and we'll say it again this year. Psalms is literally God's playlist for your life. So if you want to write it down, you can write it down that way. It's God's playlist for your life. It made me think of this as I was thinking about the book of Psalms and God's playlist for your life. Anybody notice that there's a fad going on that everybody, everywhere, no matter what they're doing, is doing this? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, right? Come on. How many of you see people? They just kind of walk down the street, working out. Maybe they're going to school. Any teachers get irritated with this, right? I mean, everybody's got their, their, their earbuds in, right? They're listening to their songs, right? And so whatever you're doing, you're working, you're walking, you're doing whatever, you're sitting at home, you're maybe around the supper. I don't know, but people got their earbuds in, right? Why? Because in their device, they have some music that means something to them. It means something to them. It maybe inspires them, makes them think about a memory they had. Maybe it's something that puts a little pep in their step. It's something that just gets them going, motivates them, whatever it might be. Everybody's got a playlist, and, and they like to go back to that playlist because that playlist is personal for some of them. Uh, maybe it's the very thing they need to kind of get the distractions out of their head, whatever it might be. But, but a lot of people are listening to their playlist. In fact, it made me think this. It made me think <clears throat> that... Here at Grace Church, I get the opportunity, and I, I think many of you would agree with this, that I get a chance to, to lead an incredible team of pastors, right? I mean, we have some incredible pastors here, and so I get the chance to be able to lead them. But I did think to myself this. I thought it might be pretty important for me as their 
their leader to know what in the world these guys are listening to when they got their earbuds in, right? And so I thought, because that might tell me something about them because I can't hear it, they got their earbuds in. And so I did a little investigation. And I said, I'm gonna begin to learn what each of the pastors have on their playlist. And so I started with Pastor Adam and here's what I found. Born to be wild. It's like a Harley guy, doesn't he? But then it got kind of crazy because then I went to Pastor Jonathan, and here's what I got. <laughs> raise your hand if you think that looks a little creepy. Just raise your hand, okay? Yeah. Well, then I said, I better check out what Pastor Greg's foot has on his playlist. <laughs> I'd love to know what he saw, right? So then I thought, well... I better check out the veteran of the group, Pastor Bob, and here's what I found. <laughs> Raise your hand if you think that's a little creepy, all right? <laughs> Get that out of here. Cut that off, right? Here's the deal. When I think about people's playlists, uh, some of you know this. I used to coach football. I love football. And so I love when you watch a, a team that's the opposing team, they're the visitors, come into a stadium particularly like college football, they might come into a stadium where there's 80, 90, if it's a big stadium, people from the opposing team, the home team, and when they walk into that stadium, the opposing team's fans are gonna be yelling everything they can to what? Get that team off the rails, to get them out of focus. They're gonna be yelling all kinds of negative stuff. You're gonna lose, you're no this, that, and the other thing. And so what's interesting in the modern day era of football players, when you watch, and I've watched it a lot of football, what happens is this, in these stadiums where everything and everybody's telling them, you're gonna lose, you're no good, we're gonna stomp you, whatever. What happens is these guys warm up on the field before the game and what do they have on? They have their headphones, right? Why? Because they're listening to their playlist and their playlist, stay with me on this, this is important, their playlist, whatever they're listening to, it could be Beethoven, it could be something crazy, it could be whatever, whatever they're listening to is causing them to be able to block out the distraction, to be able to focus their thoughts so they can get at the task at hand. No matter what 80 or 90,000 people are telling me, I have a task at hand, I wanna stay focused, I don't wanna get distracted. Here's the deal. Next five weeks, I want to immerse you in one psalm, not five, one for five weeks. And here's why I want to do that, because I want that to be at the top of your playlist. You know why? Because we live in a world where life can sometimes be hard. Can I get one amen in the group? We live in a culture where there is a lot of negative messaging, we live at a time where there's animosity, opposition, and I want to lean into one psalm, and my hope is this, is that this psalm will be your go-to playlist. It will play over again and again in your head and your heart, because the truth is life can burn you out, can betray you, life can get busy, and life can beat you up. And that one psalm is a very familiar psalm. It's Psalm 23. Many of you have heard of it. In fact, we're gonna throw it on the screen. If you wanna to turn to it in your Bibles, you can. If you wanna follow on the screen, that's cool. But I wanna try something. I'd like for us to read it out loud together. Can we try to do that? Almost like a choir? Let's see how it works. Will you read it with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's an old-time preacher named Charles Spurgeon that said that is the pearl of all the Psalms. Here's what he said. It's simple enough that a child can understand it, deep enough that Bible scholars could plummet for the rest of their lives and never get all the treasure that's in Psalm 23. It's the most requested passage of Scripture at funerals in our present day and age. In fact, men, some of you in the room are old enough to remember 9-11, and you remember our president. Where did he quote from? Psalm chapter 23. The fact of the matter is this is one of the most familiar psalms in all the Bible. Listen close. This might let some of you unsettled because it's one of the most familiar. It's one of the most dangerous and distorted. This psalm is one of the most dangerous and distorted psalms in all the book of Psalms. You say, why do you say that? It is extremely dangerous because it has become so familiar. Some of you have it memorized. Some of you have it hanging on your wall. And yet it's become so familiar to so many of us. Yet many of us in this room have never plumbed this psalm for the power and the treasure that's found in it. And it's become distorted. Now I'm going to say something that's going to leave some of you unsettled. It's become distorted because it's been misapplied and wrongly appropriated. It is read as though it is a universal promise to everyone, for everyone at all times. And I'm going to tell you something, and let this leave you unsettled right now. We're going to help make sense of it. It is not. It is not. We have to understand something about this psalm if it's going to bring us the comfort we so long for. And so this morning, I just want to take a few minutes, and we're going to look at verse 1. That's all we have time to do. We're just going to look at verse 1, and here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The guy writing this psalm, his name is, say it out loud, David. David was a king. Before he was a king, he was a what? He was a shepherd. And so he's writing this psalm, and what's interesting is this. Stay with me. He's writing this not from the perspective of a shepherd. He's writing this psalm from the perspective of a what? A sheep. It's interesting. And here's why that's interesting to me, because you'll never understand, this will never begin to explode. Psalm 23 will never explode into your life and onto your life until you realize something, and that's this. I want you to write it down. We all are like sheep. We are all like sheep. In the Bible, over 200 times, we're referred to as being like sheep. Now, that's interesting but this beautiful psalm that everybody loves makes no sense until we start here. Isaiah 53 says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Matthew 9, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were just like sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Look here a second. We all are like sheep. In fact, here's what I want you to do. We just got to apply this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sheep. Go ahead and turn and do that. Go ahead and turn. And then say, you smell like one too. No, don't say that. No, don't do it. <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the deal. Can we just be honest? 21st century, can we be honest? Like, like that doesn't seem like a real appealing label, right? 
It's like people aren't running out getting a big old tattoo of a lamb on their, on their arm, right? It's like, look at me, man, I'm like a lamb, right? I mean, nobody is not very flattering. In fact, here's what I would tell you. When, when you begin to understand sheep, all of a sudden you begin to understand the picture and you're like, wow, I wonder why the Bible calls us sheep. Now, I'm not a shepherd, but I had to do some research and there's some interesting things I found out about sheep. If you wanna write these things down, you can, but it'll help you understand a little more as to why we are called like sheep. Here's the first thing I found out. Sheep can sometimes be stupid. You can write it down like that. Now, this might not apply to any of you, but here's what I found. It's known that sheep are not the brightest creatures. I read a guy that said this. It occurs to me that if God is to be our shepherd, then we have to begin by recognizing we're sheep. And then he's real honest. He says, I don't like that analogy. Frankly, because I don't like sheep, he says. I come by my dislike honestly. He said, I used to raise sheep. In high school, I was in the 4-H club. I had a herd of sheep and goats. He said, the goats, I can handle. They're obnoxious, but at least they're smart. He said, sheep are beyond question the most stupid animals on the face of the earth. He said, they're dumb, they're dirty, timid, defenseless, helpless. Mine were always getting lost, hurt, and snake bitten. They literally didn't know enough to come in out of the rain. When you think about it, sheep are sometimes stupid. In fact, think about it. When's the last time you saw at the circus a trained sheep? I mean, you just don't see that, right? They're sometimes stupid. In fact, as I was reading about this, sometimes sheep do things that cause you to scratch your head. One of the things I read and I scratched my head was this, is that sometimes sheep will begin to drink from polluted or contaminated water. Sometimes it is polluted or contaminated by their own excrement. I mean, and they'll begin to drink from it, know that it's polluted or contaminated, but they'll continue to drink from that polluted water, even to their own death. And you kind of scratch your head and say, man, that's kind of stupid. And then you realize, I know this doesn't apply to any of you, but I realize sometimes I'm stupid. Sometimes I do things that make me scratch my head. Sometimes I think to myself, I keep going back to polluted things in my life. Sometimes I begin to see how much like a sheep I am that I keep running back to contaminated habits that are destroying my life. And I keep running back to them, running back to them, running back to them. Sometimes when I look at my life, I know it probably doesn't apply to any of you, so I'll just talk about me. I keep running back to relationships that just contaminate, destroy, and erode me. Habits and actions, things that I keep running back to, and I'm like, yeah, Dan, you're a lot like a sheep. I learned this about sheep, that they are easily led astray. Associated Press 2005 said this, 450 sheep jumped to their deaths in Turkey. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then the stunned Turkish shepherds who had left to have breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 died. The ones who jumped later survived because the pile was so high it cushioned them. Easily led astray. I'll follow somebody right off a cliff and then I'm like, wow, I'm a lot like a sheep. I realize maybe you're not like a sheep, but I'm a lot like a sheep. It's real easy for me to follow the flow, do what others are doing, what's popular, what's everybody else wanna do, even if it might lead to my own destruction, my own detriment. And then I'm like, wow, that's why he calls me a sheep. I learned this about sheep, sheep are dirty, but that's not all I learned and they can't clean themselves. 
It's interesting about sheep. They are extremely dirty. They get mud and dirt and manure tangled in their wool. And they have no effective way to clean themselves. And I thought, wow, that's a good description of me. And I would bet you that it's a good description of some of you. Because the truth is we're dirty. And some of us are sitting here today and we're covered in the mud of our past, the manure of our decisions, and we can't figure out how to get the stink off of us. We try everything, but we can't figure out how to do it. And guilt and shame and regret tangle themselves in the wool, so to speak, of our life. And I'm like, wow, I'm a lot like a sheep. I learned this about sheep. Sheep are easy to harass because they're helpless. In fact, one writer I read said they are nature's prey. Bears, lions, wolves, coyotes, large birds, and even insects create harassment for sheep. Therefore, sheep are jumpy and insecure. I was reading more about that. Some sheep get so bothered by flies that they'll beat their head to get them off and they'll beat their head to death to get the harassing flies off their head. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And then I realized, wow, I'm a little bit like a sheep. Because it's so easy for things in life to harass me and for me to beat my proverbial head against a wall of stress, competition, fear, doubt, whatever it is. I'm a lot like a sheep. I learned this about sheep. Sheep have poor perspective. It's commonly known that sheep have poor depth perception. So what they do is they rely on their peripheral perception. Sheep can see side to side, but they can't see out front to the point where they might not even see a water hole out front and they might miss it because they can't see it. So they'll just look at what all the other sheep are doing and they'll just stay here even though water is right there because that's what everybody else is doing. This is where I see best and I can't see there. So I won't go there because I can't see what's ahead. And I realize I'm a lot like a sheep. Because a lot of times I get focused on what everybody beside me is doing and I'm afraid to walk into the future, into what it is that I think God wants me to do because, you know, I can't understand it. I don't know what's ahead. And sometimes I have poor perception. And I learned this about sheep. Sheep are dead on their own. They really have no defense. They don't run very fast, no claws. Without a shepherd, they're dead on their own. And it helped me realize something. That it's not till I recognize that I am a sheep that I'll realize something else. And I want you to write this down. I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. It's not lingo we use today, but you kind of get the point. A shepherd is what a sheep needs. Sheep need a shepherd to live with them. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them, to protect them, to provide for them. Sometimes sheep need a shepherd to save them from themselves. And sometimes they need them to secure them from predators. That's why what David says, if you look at your Bibles, is so fascinating to me. And I need to stop here for a second and make sense of this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He starts by saying this. He says, the Lord, look here a second. We need to make something make sense because Psalm 23 has become this poem almost that we recite that we don't stop and say, what is he saying? And when he says the Lord, I want you to hear me say this. He's not saying, oh, Lord, Lordy, Lordy, look who turns 40, right? That's how we use Lord. That's not what he's saying. When he says, Lord, I want you to hear this. He is using the divine name of God. 
He's saying the great I am, the one who has no beginning, no end, who sees the first from the last, that is the great I am, the one who has inexhaustible resources, unbelievable power, the one with supreme wisdom, perfect perspective, the one who spoke everything into existence, stay with me, that is the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd. That God bigger than I can totally get my head around this morning, if we're honest, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm fascinated. He says, the Lord, great I am, is not our shepherd. He is that, but he is my shepherd. Listen, look here. There's something personal going on here. That the great I am wants to be your shepherd. But can I tell you something that's going to leave some of you unsettled? because I've heard Psalm 23 read by people everywhere and like, the Lord is my shepherd, that's great. Can I tell you something? This morning, the Lord is not everybody's shepherd. I don't think he's everybody's shepherd in this room more than likely. You're like, what? The Lord is not everybody's shepherd in this room this morning. See, the truth is, the Lord wants to be your shepherd this morning. But at this moment, more than likely in this room, the Lord is not everybody's shepherd. And you might be sitting here saying, wow, like I don't want to be left out of that. And so the question it begs is this, then how in the world can the Lord be my shepherd? I want the Lord to be my shepherd. And I think there's three things. It's as simple as ABC. I want you to write them down. I'd love for you to think about them. Listen, you don't even have to agree with everything I'm getting ready to say to come here but you ought to think about what we're going to share. Because for the Lord to be your shepherd, I think it's as simple as ABC, and I would write the first thing down as this. I need to acknowledge the shepherd who became my lamb. I want to, I want to help you read Psalm 23 different from this day forward. Because I believe this, listen close, you can't understand, you can't experience, you can't appreciate Psalm 23. Listen. You can't understand it, you can't appreciate it, you can't experience it until you understand, experience, and appreciate, you ready, Psalm 22. You see, it is Psalm 23 on purpose because before it is Psalm 22, you're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Well, look at your Bibles, I want to show you a couple of things. Here's what Psalm 22 says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is class participation time in the room, say out loud, Where do we hear this? Who said this in the New Testament? A little louder, let me hear you. Jesus. He says, verse six, but I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They said that about who? Jesus at the cross. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a posture and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. There is no Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. There are no green pastures, there are no quiet waters without a blood-stained cross. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. 
That's what it's pointing to. It's talking about Jesus who would be the shepherd who became the lamb who was sacrificed for us. There is no shepherding Lord without a sacrificial lamb, and that lamb is Jesus. The Lord became the lamb. The shepherd became a sheep. Here's what I want you to write down. God took my place. God took my place. You know why? Because we're like sheep. Can I tell you something? None of us in this room can clean ourselves up. I don't know what you came in here with. Some of you are like, oh, Dan, Oh man, if you knew what I've been doing and what I've been thinking, what I've been involved in, the things that I've participated in, listen, I don't need to know. But I know this, God knows. And you know what the story of the gospel is? The story of the gospel is not you need to get your act together and cleaned up. The story of the gospel is is that Jesus came and when he came, he was God with skin on and when he died on the cross, he died in your place for your sin, took your punishment, paid your penalty. Paid in full. That's the gospel. That's grace. I get what I don't deserve, but what I need. You see, for the Lord to be my shepherd, I got to start by acknowledging that he is the lamb. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about in John 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. Reason my father loves me is I lay down my life, only take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up again. Some of you know the story of Jesus and you feel sorry for Jesus because he seemed like he was a victim of a bad crime. That's not what the story of Jesus is all about. The story of Jesus is that he came and voluntarily died in my place for my sin, in your place for your sin. Voluntarily. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I voluntarily lay down my life for sheep who can't clean themselves up. I lay down my life for all the filth, all the manure and mud of their past decisions, all of the guilt and regret tangled in their wool. I lay down my life so that if they would trust me, if they would put their their faith and trust in me, they can be as white as snow, the Bible says. See, here's the deal. The good news of Psalm 23 is that you and I have a shepherd that changed places with us. Psalm 23 will never make sense unless you understand Psalm 22, unless you accept the shepherd that it's talking about in Psalm 22. The shepherd is the Lord. He's the great I am. He is God with skin on. He left heaven to rescue you. Can I tell you something? I don't know all of your stories, but God's preoccupied with you this morning. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to die in your place. Some of you have had church experiences where it's like, man, I need to clean up my act. I need to do this. I need to do that. And here's the deal. The gospel is about what he did for you. He left heaven to rescue you. He's the lamb who died so you could live. He's the one who paid the price for you. The Lord is my shepherd because the shepherd became my lamb But then there's something else that we got to understand to understand Psalm 23, and that's this. Not only do I got to acknowledge the shepherd who became my lamb, but I got to believe the shepherd is my Lord. I want you to write it down. I want to explain it. I just want to have a serious talk with you about this. The Lord can't be your shepherd if the shepherd is not your Lord. The Lord can't be your shepherd if the shepherd is not your Lord. 
begs the question, what does it mean to be a Lord? Now, stay with me on this. Sounds like a church word, so let's explain it, okay? Because it's not just a church word, but we don't use that much in the, the modern-day vernacular. We're not out there talking about, hey, man, who's the Lord? And all that kind of, out, you know, if you're like, this, this is my first time in church, you're like, what? Okay, so what does it mean to be Lord? It simply means this. It means to be in charge, in control. It begs the question, who's in charge of your life? Who's in control of your life? Can I tell you something? Every last one of us has a Lord. Someone is in charge of your life. Someone is controlling your life. Whether you agree with anything else I said or not, here's what you can agree with. Somebody's calling the shots in your life. Guaranteed. For some of you, you're wired more like me. Okay? So we're all like sheep. I'd be more like a stubborn sheep. Any stubborn sheep in the room, right? And so, okay, half of you are honest, all right? I know some of the rest of you are stubborn too, okay? But here's how we work. Here's how we work. We, we, we like to be in control of our own life. Like, like you would answer my question and say, I'll tell you who calls the shots. I do. My life. I do what I want to do. I justify what I want to justify. I make decisions based on what I think and this and that. I call the shots. I rule my life. I'm the Lord of my life. Others of us, we're not wired that way. We're, we're more kind of like go with the flow kind of people, follow the, the, the flock kind of people. And so the way we make decisions is we look like, what's everybody else doing? Oh, man, I'll make sure I do that, right? What, what seems to be popular? Where's culture? And that's how we make decisions. Regardless of where you're at and that somebody's calling the shots in your life. And here's what Psalm 23 is about. I want you to remember this. Psalm 23, we all love the comfort it gives, right? Psalm 23 is so comforting. Listen close. Before Psalm 23 can comfort you, it has to convict you. Before it can comfort you, it has to convict you. And what Jesus wants you to think about is who is the Lord of your life? The truth is many of us are like harassed sheep because we're listening to all these competing voices. We're worried, we're afraid. Others are gonna get ahead of us. And what we're doing is we're making decisions based on, well, my friends think this is good, uh, but, but these people say this is better, but I don't know and I don't want my parents telling me and, and we're doing all this kind of, and we're like harassed sheep. And, and what Jesus says is, I want to be Lord. I want to be the one in control. Can, can I tell you something? I'm gonna totally break some of, some of you are gonna be mad at me probably, that's okay. Because you have a bumper sticker that says Jesus is my co-pilot, right? Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> but I hope it comes off. Because <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something, Jesus doesn't wanna be your co-pilot. He doesn't. In fact, I would dare say that some of us, that's the whole brand of Christianity that, that we've been sold is like, I'll make Jesus a part of my life. So Jesus, this is where I'm heading in my life. Why don't you come along and be a part of it? And let's just kind of walk and kind of, if you could help me out and make it a little better. He does, no, no. You know what he wants to do? He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Now, some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. The militant Jesus. No, no. You, you miss the point. He's the shepherd. Here's what John 10 says. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. He says, I know them and they follow me. Look here a second. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm gonna tell you something about the good shepherd. He knows you better than you know yourself. He made you. He loves you more than you understand this morning. If Jesus is the good shepherd, he sees what you don't see. 
He knows what you don't know. And so what he's saying is, I love you more than you know. I know you better than you know yourself. I see what you don't see. I know what you don't know. Trust me. You see, here's what it means to make him Lord of my life. I'd write this word down somewhere. It means to surrender. It means to surrender my will, my life, my ways, my thinking to him and to trust him. In fact, can I just ask this question? If I believe that Jesus knows me better than I know myself, loves me more than I could ever imagine, sees what I don't see, knows what I don't know, let me just ask this question. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? You know why? Because sometimes I'm like a sheep and I'll just go running right off that cliff because the rest of my buddies were. That's what they're all doing. Because I'm like a sheep because I'll just keep drinking that polluted water because this is what everybody else is doing beside me. And Jesus stands out in front of me. He's like, Dan, I know it's scary. I know you don't understand. I know it seems dark. I know you don't fully comprehend. But I love you more than anyone else, more than you understand. I know you better than you know yourself. And I see what you don't see. I want you to follow me. I want to be Lord. Surrender to me. And it begs the question, why wouldn't I? You see, listening to the shepherd is how I surrender to the shepherd. And it begs two questions. Can I ask him and then we'll go to the last point. When and where in your life do you set aside time to hear the shepherd if the shepherd's Jesus? Stay with me on this. How do you set aside in your life time to hear from the shepherd? Well, man, I'm busy. Listen, I get busy. Distracted. Everything's crazy. I got, I get it. But here's the deal. Shepherd wants to be your Lord. Shepherd is Jesus. And he's like, listen and follow. When do you set aside time to hear what he has to say? Well, Dan, how in the world does he talk to me? He talks to us through his word. For some of you, can I just challenge you this way? This might be your first time ever in church. Can I challenge you? I just want to give you a challenge today. What if you said for the next five weeks... As we go through the psalm, I'm going to block out this 10 to 11 hour because I want to hear from the shepherd and I've never engaged with this kind of conversation before, but I just want to at least for the next five weeks consistently hear from the shepherd. What does God's word say? I've never done that before, but I want to at least give it a shot for these next five weeks. Some of you are like, I already do that. Can I ask you a question? Then when from now till next Sunday, do you set aside time to hear from the shepherd? Do you spend more time trusting yourself or others or listening to the one who knows you, loves you, sees what you don't see? See, here's the deal. I need to set aside time to hear from the shepherd, but it doesn't just stop there. I need to hear from the shepherd and then respond to the shepherd. You see, I I believe this. There's probably a lot of us in this room that we know a lot about what the Bible says, what the shepherd is saying, but we probably outknow our obedience. And there's some of us in this room, we know things the shepherd has said that we haven't acted on. And what he says is, my sheep hear me and they follow, they respond, they come. But it's scary, I know, but I love you. But I don't know the answers. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I know, but I see what you don't. I know what you don't. 
You see how that works? He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be the one in the driver's seat. Acknowledge that the shepherd is the lamb. Believe him as Lord. And then I want you to write this down and then we're gonna just land it here. Then I need to count on my shepherd to satisfy me. I'm gonna say some things here that might leave some of you a little unsettled. You might not even agree with them. That's fine, let it percolate. The truth is we live in a culture where people are dissatisfied. They're hoping to get satisfaction. Some of you would be familiar with this. How many have ever heard this obscure group called the Rolling Stones? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that group. Yeah, okay. You ever heard this song? I can't get no satisfaction. Just shake your head if you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not allowed to admit that in church. Yes, you are, okay? First line, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. I try, I try, I try. I can't get no satisfaction. We live in a world where people are looking for things to satisfy them. Maybe if I get a bigger house, a better job, better sex, more money, I'll find satisfaction. And I can't find satisfaction. It reminds me of the great Bible scholar, Madonna, <laughs> who, wrote something that, who wrote something that broke my heart and her words whether you admit it or not, reflect many of us in this room. 1991, heyday of her fame, she gave an interview with Vanity Fair. She said, I have so many regrets and yet I have none. I wish I hadn't done a lot of things, but on the other hand, if I hadn't, I wouldn't be here. But then again, nobody works the way I work, Madonna says. I have an iron will. And if all my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy, some of you feel that this morning, I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past the spell of it, discover myself to be a special human being, and then I get to another stage where I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. This is Madonna writing. I find my way out of that again and again in my drive in life is to drive from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that is something that's always pushing me. Because Madonna says, even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended. It probably never will. And my guess is that's some of our struggle in the room. Because somehow we've been taught that being somebody and being significant is making a name for ourselves achieving a certain status, accumulating certain things. And the truth is satisfaction comes when I know who I am and whose I am. And Psalm 23 says that you and I can know who we belong to. And when we know who we belong to, we know who we are. And listen close, young people in the room, if you're 19 to 29, my heart is with you right now. I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. It's only when you know who you are that you'll know what to do. And you can live the rest of your life from the security and satisfaction of knowing Jesus is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. I can walk through busyness. I can walk through ambiguity. I can walk through even the darkest of valleys. That's what Psalm 23 is about. I watched this play out yesterday in the living room of a lady who lost her son. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I lack nothing because he's my shepherd. I'm going to invite Aiden and the crew to come out. I'm asking not to put your stuff away because I kind of know what happens when we do that. I just want to talk to you. Because some of you in the room, you're like, Psalm 23, man, this is my favorite. I have this at work. I have it at home. I have it memorized. I learned it in Sunday school. I, whatever. And so I know this is really familiar, but it reminds me of a story. There was an occasion where <clears throat> there was this famous actor, and they had asked him to finish the occasion out by standing and giving his rendition of Psalm 23. So that's what he did. He stood and with eloquence and elegance, quoted with poetic, poetic rhythm and passion, Psalm 23. He had a pace and a rhythm, didn't miss a beat, never missed a word, no crack in his voice. When he got to verse 6 and hit the end of Psalm 23, the place erupted with a standing ovation at his performance. Someone in the crowd noticed an old retired preacher sitting over here. And they invited the old retired preacher and said, How about you? Would you like to give your rendition of Psalm 23? He didn't like the spotlight. He's like, Oh, we would love for you to come. We know you have it memorized. The old preacher stood behind the table, he steadied himself. And he started with raspy voice. He stuttered and stumbled, but with a pace that wasn't poetic, but was personal. He went verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, verse five, verse six. When he got to the end of it, you couldn't hear a pin drop in that room. No one made a noise. Somebody stood up and looked at the famous actor and said, how is it that when you gave your rendition of Psalm 23, people exploded in a standing ovation? But yet when that old preacher stood and gave his rendition, people were mesmerized in silence. The actor knew. You know what he said? He said, I'll tell you what happened. I know Psalm 23. That man, he knows the shepherd. You see, here's the deal, guys. I don't know if you've ever heard Psalm 23 or not, but Psalm 23 is a powerful passage. And the point of it is this, is that God, the great I am, wants to be your shepherd. He died in your place. He paid the price. And some of you this morning, it can be the moment you say yes to Jesus. Quit trying to clean yourself up and realize that when he died, he died so that you could be clean. That's the gospel. That's salvation. That's forgiveness. That's hope. Others of you are sitting here this morning and you've said yes to Jesus, like he's my savior, but you still like to kind of, and this morning he's like, you're not getting it. It's not militant Jesus saying this. It is literally Jesus, Lord, who knows me, loves me, sees more than I see, says, I want to be Lord of your life. Will you surrender control to me? 
Some of you have been beating your proverbial head against the wall because life has harassed you. Fears encompass you. He said, trust me. But I'm not sure I know. Trust me. But I've never, I know. Trust me. But I got more questions than I got answers. Trust me. He said, if you'll trust me, then you'll find a satisfaction you didn't even know. A satisfaction that comes not through accumulation and achievement, but through identity, intimacy. I'll walk with you even through this dark valley that you're walking through. Even through opposition. And I promise I'll never leave you. So God, as we finish with this song, my prayer is simply this, is that the power of Psalm 23 would explode in our life in these next five weeks together.